0: we continue in this Christian atheism series, I want to start out uh, letting you know about a story out of New York City. Uh, there was a, a robbery that took place in their kind of fashionable apartment district, a pretty big heist in one apartment. The cops had no clue as to who pulled it off until one detective noticed that a statue of Jesus on a shelf was actually turned around to face the wall. And so what they did is they dusted that for prints, and that yielded the one fingerprint that led to apprehending the thief. So when they got him, they said, hey, what was with that? He said, look, I couldn't do it with Jesus watching. <laughs> you ought to laugh, because it is just ser- silly, seriously silly. Like, think about this. Like, if Jesus is just some little statue, and you can foil him by turning him to the wall, that is not a God that you've got to care about. Right? Like that's a small puny ridiculous I don't care what he thinks. Unless he's God. And if he's God, you can't turn him toward a wall. He is watching and he sees and he cares. You see our problem with God isn't that he is a statue that might see us. Our problem with God is that he sees us all the time. And we can't get away with that that God is watching. God is watching. So we're in this series on Christian atheism, and what we're talking about is a a contradiction. Because that that term, Christian atheism, implies a contradiction, right? It's all about a contradiction between our lips and our life. That we say we believe something, but then we live totally differently. Like we said, what do you really believe? Not what you say you believe, but what does your life say? What do you really believe? There is this contradiction. And the issue we're going to tackle today is the fact that God is watching. God sees, God remembers, God cares, God is involved, God is watching. And it is particularly relevant when uh, something happens like injustice. Wrong is done. Sin happens. And there's two sides of this that we'll be looking at. The first side is wrong we do to others. And the other side is wrong that is done to us. In both cases, God is watching. Well, except the atheist doesn't think so. So let's, let's start with atheism. Atheism says, well, God's not watching. There is no God. That's ridiculous. And so the way the atheist responds when it comes to wrong that we do to others. When I do wrong, look, if nobody noticed, if nobody cares or if nobody can do anything about it, then I got away with it. Hurrah. That's awesome, right? That's good stuff. There's no God involved. I factor God out. Now, what about wrong done to me? Well, again, there's no God who executes ultimate justice, who has the final word. And so it's completely up to me to fight for my rights, to fight for what I want, to stand up for myself. There's no God in the equation. That is atheism. Now, in contrast to that, theism would go a different direction. There is a God. God is watching, God sees, God cares, God is involved, and justice will be done. Now note this, ultimately, for for those who trust in Christ, justice is satisfied in Christ. This is not an issue of our salvation, this is an issue of our sanctification. Okay, So we're not trying to, by God watching, we're trying to earn his favor and do enough good. No, 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 that's not the way it works. When it comes to your salvation, God's no longer watching. He's got plenty of data, thank you you failed. (laughs) You failed and you're lost and your only hope is in Jesus Christ, what he did, not what you do. And so that is where our salvation is. Now having entered by faith, now he is a good daddy and he's watching and he is watching. And so there are issues like blessing and discipline and reward. Everything comes to light. There is vindication. We'll talk about those things in a bit. But that's what what, what theism would say. So we've looked at atheism, we've looked at theism. Now let's talk about Christian atheism. And because if we're honest with each other, I assume that we live most of our lives ignorant of the watchful eye of God. Like willfully ignorant about it. And our response to most situations is much more like an atheist than a theist. And so when I do wrong... If nobody saw, if nobody cares, if if nobody can do anything about it, hurrah. I got away with it, right? Factor got out. It's Christian atheism. Even though I claim Christianity, I'm operating like an atheist. Or what about when wrong is done to me? Instead of trusting and relaxing in the sovereignty of God that ultimately justice will be done. I've got to fight for what's right. I've got to defend myself. And there's no reliance on the sovereignty of God. I've factored him out. I'm a Christian, but I'm a Christian atheist. That's the problem right there. Because, because you see, it all sounds strikingly similar to atheism, right? And how they respond. So what this reminds me of is like a little kid when you're playing hide-and-seek. Parents, you remember this. I remember when Caleb and Madison were just little kids, play hide and seek. They hide. i come find them. They go into my bedroom. They get up on the bed. They go under the blanket right there. Boom, right? <laughs> Parents, you remember this? And your job is to walk in the room and go, gee, I wonder where they are, right? And you play it up, right? And it, the big lump is so, I mean, it gives it away, right? But you don't even need that because they're giggling under there, right? You can hear them and the blankets shake and it's so obvious, right? Here's the child's mistake. The child assumes because the child can't see you that you can't see them. And we're God's child. We make that mistake all the time. We assume because we can't see God, we think he can't see us. And so we think we are fooling him. And we're not. He is there. And it's not just a great illustration. I'll tell you what, it's history. Our very first parents, Adam and Eve, did this very thing. You remember the story in Genesis, right? As soon as they sinned, what did they do? They hid from God. That's right. They hid. It blows my mind. How do you hide from an omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent being? That doesn't work. They were operating like Christian atheists. They think one thing, they believe one, but they act differently. So I believe God is God, but I think I'm going to hide from them. Really? That's crazy. That's crazy. But God knew, God saw, God was watching. And it's still going on today. Like we can't just make fun of Adam and Eve back in time, but we're doing it today. We are thinking like God is not watching. So for example, some of you for your job, you travel a lot, right? And, and you have Stowe, Ohio you, and you have traveling you. And you're much more likely to, do you think God's only in Stowe, Ohio? Do you think he's not out there too? Right? You, you forget that he's watching, right? Or some of you have like, uh, if you're in Stowe or whatever surrounding community, you've got like Ohio you, and then you've got vacation you. Right? Because what happens in Vegas? Do you think God's not in Vegas? Let me pop your bubble on that one. You think because you went to Vegas, God didn't see? God doesn't know? God is still watching. There's not two yous, and there's only one God. What about what you look at on your computer? It's a huge issue of internet porn. You, you think you're alone and no one sees, but you don't understand, like, God's watching, right? And, and not only that, you're leaving right. Like, there is a browser history, so some of you need to wear this medical bracelet. Right? Like, if I'm dead, holy crap, somebody better delete that. Look, no judgment for me. I can't throw the first stone. I was trapped in that for years. I get it. That's part of my history and my story. But if we're honest, we act like God is not watching, like God is not there. God doesn't see. God doesn't know. God is watching. Uh, Or what about uh, cheating on your taxes? Uh, If you knew for sure the IRS wouldn't audit you, would you do it? And how many of you just thought, well, no, God's watching. (laughs) Probably not. What about uh, uh, money that is accidentally given to you but doesn't belong to you? God is watching. What about ripping somebody off? Do you think God can't count? Do you think God doesn't see? God doesn't watch? What about ripping God off? How do you rip God off? The Old Testament answers that. He says in tithes and offerings. Like in what you're called by God to give to God for his kingdom, for his ministry. When you withhold that, you're actually robbing God think God can't see God doesn't know we act like God is not watching listen we all have something there's all we all have something that we do we are all like kids hiding under a blanket thinking God can't find us we are all like thieves that turn the statue to the wall and think that Jesus can't see us that's silly it's just silly don't we live most of our lives, though we claim Christianity, but we actually operate like atheists? We act like God is not watching, like God cannot see. That is Christian atheism. Saying one thing, but living something differently. And what I want to do is I want to allow theism then to speak into that and to correct us. And in a nutshell, theism says God is period. God is. And because God is, God is God. And God always sees. He's everywhere. He remembers. He sees. He cares. He knows everything. God is watching. And the consistent theist not only knows that and believes that, but lives in accord with that. And that's our problem. We often don't So what I want to do is something a little bit maybe more unique this morning. I want to do a little rapid-fire Scripture thing on you because I need you to catch how pervasive this thought is throughout the Scriptures. It's all over the place. Look with me, if you will, at Psalm 33, verses 13 to 15. It says, Yahweh looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of Of the earth, he who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. Vegas 2. Right? God is watching. Go to Psalm 94, verses 1 to 9. O Yahweh, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, Yahweh does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of people. (laughs) Wait a minute, that's not nice. He's not being nice right now, okay? Listen, understand, O dullest of the people. Fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? You understand the very idea of sight was formed in the mind of God. The very design of the eyeball was formed in the mind of God. Why do you think he himself does not see? God is watching. Go to the next book, Proverbs. How about 521 says, For a man's ways are before the eyes of Yahweh, and he ponders all his paths. 15.3 15.3 says, the eyes of Yahweh are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Well, it's all Old Testament, right? Well, all right, Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 to 9. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But to the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Don't be deceived, folks. Don't be deceived by Christian atheism. God's not mocked. Like, you think you're going to fool God by turning him to a shell? No. You sow to the flesh, you reap corruption from the flesh. You show to the Spirit, you reap blessing from the Spirit. God is watching. He's not fooled by this. All right, now that's, that's enough of that rapid machine gun fire. Look, I, I just wanted to get you a, a feel for how pervasive it is. I had to whittle it down from a very, very long list of the scriptures. And what we see in these scriptures is that the fact that God is watching is both warning and comfort. Warning and comfort. And I want to look at both of those. It's warning in the sense of when you do wrong, be warned. God is watching. We've got to get rid of our willful ignorance of the watchful presence of God. He knows, he sees, he remembers. So when you're flying down the highway at 80, 85 miles per hour, and you see up on the horizon, you see a state trooper in the median, what do you do? Slow down, don't you? Why? Because there is an authority who is watching and can discipline you. Right? You understand, God is your authority. He's always watching. And he can discipline you. So why are you not slowing down already? I thought about doing a different illustration here. So when you're going through your neighborhood, you're used to rolling through stop signs. And you come to one near your house. I feel like that was already covered last week by Austin, so I'm just going to let that one go. Oh, goodness. I Remember this. Your salvation in Christ is absolutely solid. This is not a religion that leads to fear again. But this is grace and love and a relationship made possible through Christ. So in terms of your your salvation, God is not watching. He's got all the data he needs. Your only hope is Jesus Christ. And once you place your faith in him, you get adopted as a daughter, adopted as a son, and he is a good daddy. Parents, do you watch over your kids? Why do you think God wouldn't watch over his? God is watching and there's three implications from this. And the first one I want to give you is discipline. Hebrews 12 talks about this, that God is a good father. And if you as, he- as earthly parents know how to discipline your, goods, uh, your kids for their good, for their development, for their growth, why do you think that God would not discipline his own kids? And he does. In fact, he- it says that we are not illegitimate children. Hebrews 12 again. What that means is this. Look, when my kids were growing up, Caleb and Madison, lots of people gave good things to them compliments, uh, what gifts, teaching, all kinds of stuff. Who do you think gave discipline to them? Only me and Shannon were their parents. That's a, the mark that they are our kids is that we discipline them and no one else. The mark that you are a child of God is that he disciplines you because he's a good father. Now, he will give you a whooping. But he will do it for your good and for your blessing as a heavenly father that wants to develop you and grow you up. The first mark is discipline. The second is justice. This is the second warning here. Justice will ultimately be done. And just because you're a child of God, when you're doing wrong to others, do you think God's just going to give you a pass? There's vindication. I mean, all throughout the scriptures, there's warnings about your prayers not being heard. That when you do wrong to the widow, the orphan, the foreigner among you, God shuts his ears to your prayer. What? There's a warning that husbands treat your, your wives well as a fellow heir of the grace of life, or your prayers will be hindered. God won't listen to your prayers. God is concerned about justice still. You are secure as his child, but justice will be done. And that's related to the third aspect of warning, and that is reward. There is reward on the table. Now, this confuses some people. Wait a minute. I thought this was all by faith. I thought this was all by grace. Yeah. So for my kids, they are my kids by faith and grace. I mean, they're in. Nothing will kick them out. And yet I discipline them. When they do wrong and when they do well, I reward them. But their childhood is not in in jeopardy. You see that? Look at it, if you will, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11-15. through 15. It says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. All right, Pause there. That just means your, your salvation, the foundation is Christ, not you, his work, not yours, that's solid, don't worry. But now the question is, what do you build on that foundation? Look at this. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones So yeah, you get in by the skin of your teeth because of that foundation of Christ. But you didn't build well, and it all got burnt up. Wood, hay, and stubble. All right, so, so you see, there is warning here. Warning for the wrong that we do, that God is watching. Now, I've got to be honest with you guys. This is not the fun message that a pastor gets to deliver. Why did I not give this to Pastor Jared? I don't know. But this, this is not the fun stuff. But listen, sometimes i just got to do my job as your pastor and let you know what's in the Scripture. That stuff's in there. But here's the good news. It's not only warning, but I told you it's also comfort. It is comfort when wrong has been done to us. That God is watching. There's injustice. There is sin. And if there is no God, then I must fight. It's all up to me. And when I can't conquer, I'm just, it's done. But if there is God, he is watching and I can relax and I can trust. It doesn't mean I become a doormat, no. Sometimes I have to speak up, I get that. But I can do so with trusting God, relaxing his sovereignty. He is the judge, he will speak, ultimately. Some of you are going, well, I mean, why doesn't he speak? Oh, he will, it's not over yet. It's not over yet, the judge will speak. I'll give you some examples. One comes from the word of God, Hagar, Genesis chapter 16 you probably more recognize the names Abraham and Sarah. This is before they got those names, or Abram and Sarai, but nonetheless, I'll just use Abraham and Sarah. So Abraham and Sarah, many of you women know this story because you did the Genesis study, right? So uh, they are married, and and Sarah is barren. She cannot provide an heir for Abraham, and it's just tearing her up year after year after year, and she's, she's broken up. So she has a handmaiden named Hagar, and she takes her and gives her to her husband as a concubine so that he can sleep with her. Now, we don't get the sense that Hagar had any choice in this, okay? So this is not good stuff that is going on here. This is really dark, wicked stuff. So Abraham lays with her. Hagar conceives. Now she's pregnant. So Sarah's ticked at her. Sarah, this was your plan, honey. Honey. This was your plan, but now she's, so she's jealous and she's being, so, so she goes to Abraham and Sarah goes off on her husband and Abraham's like, what, what, it was your plan. You know what, do to her whatever you want. Not good advice, right? Not good advice. And so she does. So Sarah goes and treats Hagar really, really harshly so that Hagar runs as a pregnant woman. She's on the run. She runs into the desert and she meets the angel of the Lord. and God meets with her and God speaks to her. And he says, I, I, I see what's going on. He reassures her, I know you, I care about you. And he says, you're, you're pregnant, you're going to have a son, and multitudes will come from, her, from, from, your, from him, from your seed, which is a great blessing in the Old Testament. And so now she knows that God sees, and so she, says, she names God El-Rohi, the God who sees. El-Rohi, the God who sees. And I had to lean into the God who sees at one point. Uh, there was a, a period where I had an employer who was very unjust, very unfair, blaming his weaknesses on me, mocking me before uh, the staff team. Uh, the, and, and there were things that, man, meanness and vindictive and bitter and petty. And You know what? I decided not to be an atheist but to be a theist. And I said, hey, look, that my employer thought because he had power, he won. Might makes right. That's an atheist way of thinking. No, there is a judge. There is El-Rohi. He sees, he knows, he cares, he remembers. And I trusted in that. And so God blessed me through that whole time. El-Rohi, he sees. In fact, I'll give you one other example. We have wonderful brothers and sisters of color in our midst. And they have had to trust in El-Rohi. Because there has been great injustice done certainly in our past as a nation. And I praise God for how he has grown us and how we have grown so much in the area of racial injustice. But let's not pretend like we've arrived. There's still racial injustice going on today. And my brothers and sisters of color have to trust in El-Rohi. We still have to speak up at times, no doubt. But there's a trust that God is sovereign and that justice will be done. He sees, he remembers, justice will be delivered. One day, one day. See, so sometimes God is not just watching as a cop to bust you. Sometimes God is watching as a mama bear protecting her cubs because he loves you and he wants to take care of you. And so when wrong is being done to you, God is watching take, take comfort in that. Is it over yet? No, it, it ain't over yet. He hasn't spoken finally, but he will. He will. See, so God is watching and that is warning when you do wrong. But it is also comfort when wrong is done to you. He is El-Rohi, the God who sees. Now there is a twist to this though. That he, uh, he is watching and that is warning, that's comfort. But you know what? It is also comfort when you do wrong. The fact that God is watching ought to be comforting to you when you are the wrongdoer. Look at what Jesus said in John 10.10. Love this verse. Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What a great promise from our God who is watching. He came to give us life. Now, interestingly, we respond to that. You know what we do? We try to hide our life from the one who's trying to give us life. And we try to expose our life and reveal our life to the thief. That's a reference to Satan, the evil one who came to steal, kill, and destroy. And we're trusting that guy. What is wrong with that picture? And look, if you look at this verse, you'll notice something. It is not a choice between theism and atheism. It is not a choice between God and no God. It is a choice between God and Satan. Even if Satan comes by way of presumed atheism. The choice is between God and Satan. So why would we want to hide our life from the one who wants to give us life? But we do. And you know what the result is? We don't get life. We get addictions. Addiction to food, shopping, internet porn, gambling, alcohol, other substances, all kinds of stuff. And even if you're not an addict, there's sin. And what is sin? Sin is destroying us. It's draining us. It's sucking life from us. Isolating us, bringing us shame, destroying how we think and how we interact and destroying our attitudes. Sin is just destroying us. You understand the problem is not that, oh, don't sin. It's that sin will kill you. And the issue with God watching, is you better be careful, God's watching. That's not it. It's that God wants to give you life, wants to bless you. The fact that God is watching is a huge comfort to me when I do wrong. I need him watching over me. The fact that God sees, that God cares, that God is watching, that is his grace into my life. What's the alternative? That God doesn't watch over me? That God doesn't care about me? That God abandons me to my own hell-bent sin and destruction? You know who gets abandoned? By God? It's those in hell. That's not what I want. The fact that God is watching my life, even when I'm sinning, is a huge blessing. I've told you before that God has enough compassion to accept you just the way you are. But He also has enough compassion to not leave you like that. He is watching and He cares. He's a good daddy. Praise God that He is a good Father and He is watching over us. I mean, like, He watches everything. He sees everything. Look, look, if you will, at Hebrews 4, verse 13. Look how it puts it. And no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account How do you emotionally feel about the fact that you are naked and exposed before God? Give me the heebie-jeebies a little bit. Listen, uh, oddly, there are only two people in my life with whom I get naked. This is the Nyquil talking right here, okay? It just got weird. (laughs) It just got weird, all right? Only two people in life with whom I get naked. One is my wife, and we're not talking about that. It's none of your business, right? Shut up. The second is some random dude named Kevin that I hardly know. He's my doctor. <laughs> Isn't that weird? There's like two people in my life. I get my wife and this guy named Kevin. That's kind of weird. But think about it. what if I call him up, Dr. Kevin? I'm sick. I need your help. Will you come in? No. Will you tell me what's wrong? No. But I expect you to heal me. You expect, you you understand it doesn't work like that, right? Like the reason you go to your doctor and you take it all off, I need my doctor to see every inch. I need him to examine, to diagnose so that he can heal me. Jesus is the great physician. He is the healer of our lives. And I need him, even when I'm messing up, it's a great comfort to know that I can go to him and he can see all of me. And he can examine me and heal me. You get the insanity of asking Jesus to heal your life while trying to hide your life from the great doctor. It's crazy. So, I Psalm 139 ends with these verses. It's a great plea. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Okay, now pause there. This is not somebody who expects to be vindicated, right? This is not somebody going, hey, check me out, God, I'm good, aren't I? No, no, no. It's not what he's saying. Look at this. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Jesus is the only one who can lead you in the way everlasting. But to do that, he's got to heal you. He's got to examine you. And so we got to go before him and say, God, I am glad that you are El-Rohi. I am glad you are the God that is watching. Even my junk, so that you see and you diagnose and you examine and you heal me, lead me, Lord, lead me. So God is watching, and that is a warning when you're messing up. That's comfort when stuff is done to you. But it is also a comfort because he can heal our lives, and we need him to. So how do we wrap this up? I don't want you to be a Christian atheist. I don't. I don't want you to say one thing with your lips, but a whole other thing with your life. I don't want you to say and think that God is watching, but then act like he's not watching. We do that all the time. We've got to get rid of that. We're Christian atheists. So what I want you to do instead are these four things right here. I want you to repent, relax, rejoice, and relate. I want you to repent because when you are sinning, God is watching, right? So we got to repent of our sin. In the past, you will sin today. Repent. Turn from that and go to your God. Repent. But then secondly, relax. Because he is El-Rohi. And sin has been done to you and you've been hurt and you've been wounded, I want you to relax. God is sovereign. He is the judge. He sees, he knows, he remembers. Justice will be done. He has not spoken yet. He will. You can relax into his sovereignty. And then you can rejoice. You can rejoice that your good daddy sees you, watches you, cares for you, and is not going to let you just be abandoned to destruction. He's going to speak into your life and help you and heal you rejoice that God is watching because you're a mess and so am I. And then relate. Relate. What we're saying is that God is watching. Now sometimes you can be like, no, no, no. What I'm saying is God is right there. 24-7 He's right there with you. Which means you can relate to Him all day long. I want you to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. I want you to love him and want to be like him. And so you need him in his presence in your life, watching over you, speaking into you. And so all day long, you're in a dialogue, a conversation with God because he never turns away. He's always right there for you. Relate to God all day long. God is watching, so I want you to repent and relax and rejoice and relate. The relating part, I want to give you just a taste for that. I'll we'll end with this story. Comes out of Columbia University. Back in the day, they had a great coach named Lou Little. Lou let a kid onto the team. (laughs) Like, let him onto the team. It was gracious. Uh, Onto the football team. And this kid was just not good. Lou knew that he'd do nothing but ride the pine. But coach knew that the kid's enthusiasm and his spirit would be good for the team. So he let this kid on the team. And he, and he really, again, he was good for spirit, but he wasn't good enough to ever play. He never went in on a game. But coach came to love the kid because he noticed when the kid's father would visit, the kid had a really close relationship with his dad. Whenever the father would come in town, coach would see them walking across the quad arm in arm. They were always, they were always arm in arm, always. They were so close. They shared a, a faith. And so he would always see them coming out of the chapel every Sunday when the father visited, always arm in arm. Very close. It was heartbreaking then when Coach got a call that the kid's father had died. And he had to be the one to deliver the news to the kid that your dad's dead. So the kid left, went home for the funeral. After uh, several days, he came back to school. And Coach said, son, I'm so sorry. Is there anything I can do for you? And the kid said, let me start in the next game. <laughs> oh, are you kidding me? What do you do? I, I mean, and so coach decided to honor the request, thinking I'll leave him in for a few plays, and then that boy's coming out, because this is not going to be pretty. He puts him in, kid starts the next game, and the kid was a monster. Played inspired, exceptional football, Play after play, tackle after tackle, the guy was a beast. Coach left him in the whole game. They won that game and that kid was voted most outstanding player of the game. Afterwards, coach went up to him and said, son, what got into you? Here's what he said. You remember when my father would visit me here at school and we would spend a lot of time walking arm in arm around campus. My father and I shared a secret that nobody around here knew anything about. You see, my father was blind. And today was the very first time he ever saw me play. Here's what I'm saying. I want you to play like God is watching. He's your good, good father and he loves you. And he loves to watch you play. His watching over you is not a bad thing. You get to play for God. I want you to play for his glory. I want you to play for his pleasure. I want you to play like he's never seen you before. And for that I want to pray right now. Bow your heads with me. You are our good good daddy. You are El Roi. And we worship you and praise you as such. And we admit before you, we got to repent because, Lord, sometimes we act like you don't see, like you don't watch. or we, Sometimes we don't like that you watch. And we, we repent of that right now. We need you. We need your eyes on us. We need your healing in our life. We need you rejoicing over us. We want to play for you like you've never seen us before. We want to play for your glory. We want to play for your pleasure. Lord God, would you be very present? Would you watch over us? And would you lead us to be people who repent? People who relax. People who rejoice. And then people who relate to you. Father, we love you. You are El-Rohi. And we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.